Hey there, welcome to the Sparkable Moments podcast, where we have conversations to feed the soul. In this show, we explore the human experience using a mix of science and personal stories, random ponderings, and deep end of the pool discussions. I'm your hostess, Suzette Conway. I'm a happiness coach and the creator of the Flitter Sphere, which is a community of women intent on crafting our most vibrant lives. This show is part of my mission to raise the world's vibration and consciousness by creating better human experiences to change the world in beautiful and spectacular ways. I'm so glad you're joining me on the journey. At the end of today's show, I'll share some tips for how to identify if you're ready for your midlife shift, and if so, what you can do to start it and how to overcome any fears you have about this pursuit. Be sure to stick around so you don't miss it. In this episode, I'll be talking about midlife shifts and how to know if you're ready for yours. I'm going to share the story of my own midlife shift, including what led up to it, when and how I knew something big had to change in my life, and what I did about it. And we'll talk about how to find the courage to take action in support of a midlife shift, if that's what you want in your life. And I'll share some specific actions that you can start with. So let's jump into this by first considering the language that we use around this topic, specifically the idea of a midlife crisis. Is what we experience in midlife really a crisis or just the ebb and flow of life that naturally leads to questioning our human experience? Is it a problem or an opportunity, an inevitability or an anomaly? The concept of midlife crisis is not new. We hear about it all the time. We hit our 40s and kind of go nuts making radical life changes. We buy fancy cars or have affairs or quit jobs and move to Paris in response to some internal struggle over how we define ourselves and our lives. I've been fascinated by this concept for years. I've tried to define midlife crisis for myself, and I've even explored how researchers and experts in the field define it. It's not easy because there is no single answer to it. The term midlife crisis was coined by Canadian psychoanalyst Elliot Jacques in 1965, and it became popular because of a 1984 book by Gail Sheehy called Passages, Predictable Crises of Adult Life. Sheehy claimed that we will inevitably experience a crisis between the ages of 37 and 42, and that it's a predictable experience that she defines as an anxiety around the truth of our own mortality. It's when we start to ask questions like, is this all there is? I've also seen it described as a panic over not achieving life's goals or questioning our purpose. Susan Krauss Whitbourne is a professor emeritus at the University of Massachusetts, and she's a psychologist and the author of the Psychology Today blog, Fulfillment at Any Age. She suggests that midlife crisis might more accurately be called an ego integrity issue because it's centered on confronting our morality and our sense of meaning and purpose and connection to others and our concern for our own welfare. Based on all of this and on my own experiences, I would sum up a midlife crisis as an angst-filled state of existential uncertainty and worry, a time of questioning our purpose, what we find meaningful, our role in life, and whether or not we'll achieve our goals before we run out of time and die. This crisis may send us on a desperate quest to attain our goals or regain our youth or find the answers to life's mysteries, and it's all in an effort to make sense of our human existence. I think of it as more like a midlife angst than midlife crisis. 
Either way, I don't know about you, but this is what I have felt like for most of my adult life. It intensified as I got older and it showed up as a ton of fretting over whether or not there was more to life and a deep fear that I would wake up at 85 and regret the life that I had lived. But is this a crisis? And is it inevitable that we all have this kind of crisis? Do we all have it at the same age? How long does it last? Does it look the same for all of us? Professor Whitbourne questions the very premise of a crisis altogether. She says it's pretty much a myth and that only about 10% of adults experience a true crisis, though I've seen reports that put it as high as 40%, but we'll just go with her 10% for right now. She also says that the label itself can be destructive and misleading, in part because there is no clear definition of midlife. I agree with her on this. Sheehy's book, for instance, suggests that midlife includes the ages 37 to 42. In generations past, when we only lived to be in our 60s, 30 would have been squarely in midlife. But we live longer now than ever before. So is midlife our 30s, 40s, 50s? Maybe it dips into our 60s when we retire and start a whole new career or life chapter with still another 25 to 30 years of life left in us. If we can't agree on where the middle is, how can we even use the term midlife with the word crisis? Whitborn also suggests that the label itself is problematic because we might adopt it when we face challenges in midlife as an easy way out. It's simpler to just label it as a midlife crisis than to look inside ourselves and do the work to figure out what is really going on. Whitborn also suggests that often what we label as a midlife crisis is just an unhappy event that could and does happen at any age in adulthood, whether it's a divorce or accident, losing a parent, struggling with a serious illness, or losing a job. These are serious moments, but they often don't create a deep existential crisis. And I understand her point here, but I can't help but wonder, how many of these events can someone tolerate before it does become a crisis for them? And how much does our ability to process it affect whether or not it's an existential crisis, making us question the quality and purpose of our existence? Here's what I think. The answer to what is a midlife crisis and does everybody have it and when do we have it is who knows? From a science and research perspective, and as someone who enjoys using words thoughtfully, I agree with Whitbourne that we haven't universally defined what midlife is, and it's likely unhelpful and maybe even unhealthy to use cliche terms like midlife crisis, not just because it isn't scientifically accurate, but because it minimizes the meaning of the words when we throw them around as a casual cliche. But from a more human perspective, with less interest in word precision and more interest in experience, I think the answer is, well, it's still who knows. Midlife is different for all of us. The duration of our lives varies, and so does our experience of it. We each have different levels of resilience and fortitude, unique perspectives, and even different internal and external resources for responding to life's circumstances. All of these things contribute to whether something is a crisis or just a life event that we must manage. New York psychologist Vivian Diller suggests that because we live to be older now, this quandary is no longer about thinking, I have so little time left. It's now about asking, do I want to live my life this way? And psychology professor Margie Lockman says that we can see the midlife crisis as more of a midlife checkup. I agree with both of them. Midlife isn't a crisis. It's an opportunity. There is power and purpose in a midlife shift in intentionally reflecting on our lives without regret or judgment and asking if it's what we've wanted. And if not, we get to explore what we do want 
and then choose to create that. There are legitimate crises in life and we need to respond to them accordingly. But I think that a midlife malaise is not about that. Instead, it's about asking what's next. This perspective comes from my personal experience. My life is pretty great today. I'm getting healthier. I have a sense of freedom with my time and creativity. I get to do work that I love and use my gifts to make a difference in the world. And I'm being true to myself and living an authentic, holistic, mostly balanced life. I have a sense of purpose and I have finally, mostly, relaxed into myself. And I can live the life that my curious, adventurous, fun-loving spirit craves. Life isn't perfect and some days are better than others. But I have master skills now that make all the difference and I use them daily to continually evolve and intentionally shift into my next best self over and over and over again. That is the gold, the answer to everything else for me. It's a source of my peace and satisfaction and hope and joy in life. But it wasn't always this way. I spent most of my life trying to resolve a deep inner angst. I was never quite satisfied where I was or happy in life, always trying to look for more, trying to fill an emptiness in my soul, trying to feel whole and enough. You know what I mean, right? Thin enough, smart enough, pretty enough, successful, stable, wealthy, kind enough, on and on with all the ways we measure ourselves. The struggle was visible everywhere in my life. At 31, I had a short, disastrous marriage, followed by a quick and painful divorce. It left me broken and unable to create future relationships. I was humiliated and lonely, financially unstable, gaining weight rapidly, and generally unhappy. I pushed through, though, and I tried to go on with the rest of my life. I graduated from college at 32 and went back to corporate America and kept building my career. I bought a house and enjoyed my family and friends, and I went on about living the mostly good life that checked nearly all the boxes. But still, I had this great angst and emptiness. And then in 2008, it got worse because there was an economic crash. I got laid off from my job that I had poured myself into for 11 years. I felt betrayed and rejected, and I was scared because I was unemployed for 14 months, and I almost lost my home. And I felt aimless and lost. I didn't know where I belonged. Eventually, I got a new job that I loved, but after a couple of years, I was back in a rut and unhappy, thinking again that I needed another change to fix my dis-ease, my disease of unhappiness. Over the next three years, I changed jobs four times, looking for that fix. I took the last job in desperation in a small company with a toxic environment at half my pay, and it was quickly clear that they were insolvent and couldn't afford to pay me. I knew it was a matter of months before I'd get laid off and be looking for work again. All of these struggles were symptoms of something larger, something deeper, but I couldn't see it when I was in it. So for years, I struggled. I felt out of control and full of anxiety about my future, my purpose, my weight and fast declining health, whether I'd have a good life, if I'd ever find love, all of it. And I was full of guilt for wanting more than my good on paper life, more than a lot of people get in this life. I was so depressed that there were days I could not manage to do the dishes or get off the couch or call a friend. All I wanted to do was sleep and eat and zone out from the pain that I felt. But I couldn't really disconnect because my brain was always on. I was always obsessing, striving, doing, searching, and proving myself. And the whole thing had its own momentum. I was getting worse fast. 
I tried lots of things to get on track in life. Job changes, online dating, weight loss surgery, vacations, therapy, always walking around with a smile on my face. None of it made me happier or eased the angst I felt. I was chronically stressed out and it was impacting every aspect of my health physically and mentally, and it was impacting my life. It was exhausting and overwhelming, and it was robbing me of a good life. I was desperate for relief. After nearly two decades of floundering, of wondering if there was something more and better to this human experience, two decades full of divorce, unemployment, nearly losing my home, unable to be in relationships, poor health continuing to decline, struggling with undiagnosed depression and anxiety, I was fully burnt out and at my breaking point. Now, I'd like to say that this was me at 28, that I had figured this all out early in my life and did something about it, (laughs) but it wasn't. I was in my late 30s, and then my mid-40s, and then my late 40s, and I was still in this place. So in addition to all of this struggle, I was judging myself for not having figured out how to live well. And I thought I was the only one like this. And so I was, on top of everything else, embarrassed that I couldn't get it together. And I didn't understand why I felt such pain and unhappiness, because despite the struggle and everything I just described to you, my life actually was pretty good on paper. I had a home, a mostly prosperous career doing work I was good at and that I mostly enjoyed. I had an education, a good reputation, loving friends and family. I got to travel. I made good money. I was a mostly happy person. But really, I was only half happy. Something was off and had been for a very long time, and clearly these struggles were a sign. My spirit was screaming for my attention. I was suffering from what I call chronic, low-grade unhappiness. It was the worst kind of unhappiness because it was unrelenting and had significant impact, but it didn't stop me from living my daily life, so I didn't realize exactly how bad it was when I was in it. In that kind of situation, We humans tolerate the intolerable for a really long time. And while that helped me to be resilient, to be a functionally depressed person, it stopped me from making the meaningful changes that I needed in order to go from surviving to thriving. After 20 years of this, I was so over feeling unhappy and unfulfilled in life, over tolerating this as if it was normal and all I deserved or all I was capable of creating. I reached the peak of my distress in 2016 when I went through some old boxes and found old journal entries that I didn't even remember writing, entries that highlighted how unhappy I had been for so many years. And then I found a thick folder full of 15 years of business ideas scrawled on sticky notes and envelopes and notepads and napkins. Then I found New Year's resolutions from past decades decades, I tell you, with the same goal showing up every year because I never fully accomplished these changes that I thought would make me happy. It was like evidence of a crime, proof that I wasn't creating what I wanted in my life, that my unhappiness was all my fault, and it left me no room for continued denial or complacency. It was clear that my soul had been screaming at me for a long time to do something different, to be someone different. And I was so tired of being restless and lost and empty and disconnected and lonely and hopeless. I couldn't figure out what was wrong yet or how to fix it, but I knew I could not find the path out of it with my old methods anymore. 25 years of trying had proven that. In this moment, I finally realized that I didn't need more. I was meant for more. And that meant that I needed something different, 
And that felt way bigger than having more money or getting skinny or finding another husband or getting out of debt. This was about whether or not I was living the right life, living in the right way. The answer seemed to be a resounding no, and that terrified me. My worry and my fear over a wasted life deepened, and my heart and my spirit were broken by seeing how long I'd been suffering in this state. Around this same time, my sister and I were having amazing conversations about life, and I mentioned how I was struggling and that I felt like a trapped artist. I I didn't feel like my spirit was being fully expressed in the world. I told her I had been thinking about selling my home and pressing the reset button on my entire life. It would mean I didn't have to work and that I'd have the time and money and mental space to explore what I truly wanted. She asked me, why don't you do it? And I didn't have a good answer. There was literally no reason not to do it. At that exact moment, something shifted in me. I finally knew that something big needed to change now. And I finally had the courage and the will to do it. Was all this a crisis? Honestly, I don't know. It felt like one. But the label doesn't really matter. And regardless of what I called it or when it started or how long it lasted, it was definitely a psychologically uncomfortable state. It was painful and it needed my attention. And so I gave it my attention. I decided to sell my house. And that last job at the insolvent company didn't even last until I got it on the market. But by then, I knew my path. I was not going to get another corporate job. I wanted to work for myself. And that's not true for everybody, but it was true for me. And even though I didn't know what it looked like yet, I was ready to embrace the discomfort of the unknown. I was finally ready to explore all the possibilities of my life. So I sold the house. I put everything in storage. I moved into my other sister's dining room and I started my midlife shift. I was 48, scared, excited, determined, and feeling a sense of relief that I had never known before. I took a year off to unclench (laughs) and to breathe, and I played with some business ideas. I traveled and reconnected with old friends, and I journaled like a madwoman. And I got a coach, and I found a community of people like me, seekers and creators, people determined to get every drop of goodness out of this life. They understood the angst and the need for answers. Now, not everyone has the option or the need to sell their home to create a better life. And the truth is, I probably didn't need to do it either. In many ways, it wasn't the most strategic or healthy choice I could have made. But it was one choice, one way that I was willing and able to show myself that I was committed to big, imperfect action towards the next best version of me. It was one way to acknowledge that I'd seen the truth and was no longer willing to tolerate my current reality. And... It was absolutely what my spirit wanted at that moment. I had been wanting to sell my house for years, and for the first time in years, I was listening to my spirit again. I had some big goals in my midlife shift. I was going to write a book and create massive weight loss and build a thriving business. And what I didn't know then was that these things were just more symbols of what I thought a good life looked like. I was still using my left corporate brain and strategizing and planning and seeking proof of my enoughness by measuring whether or not I hit my goals. But it was a starting point. It was enough to own what I wanted, which at that moment was just to figure out what I wanted. And so I was playing with ideas. I didn't know what any of it would look like or how long it would take or if I could even do it. But I knew I had to start. I knew that I wasn't too old and it wasn't too late, but it was time and I jumped in. And today... I run my own business and I have freedom in what I do and who I work with and where I work and live. My health is improving and so is how I define health. 
I'm a learning and development consultant, and I've started writing my first book, and I've launched this podcast. I'm a happiness coach, helping women create a midlife shift into the next expression of themselves, and I no longer feel burned out, trapped, or stuck in my life. Now, these are the outward signs of my shift, and they're fun, and they align with my gifts and interests and goals, and it's exactly what I wanted for myself. But what might be harder to see is the internal wins that came from doing deep work on myself and learning new tools for functioning optimally in service of my highest good. I'm happier because I live an authentic life, connected to my true nature and purpose, to my spirit. It's a joyful life, full of meaning and well-being, and full of powerful conversations and sparkable moments and all the things that light up my soul. I wake up each day eager for this glorious life that I get to have, and I go to bed insanely grateful, and most days pretty satisfied and fulfilled. And this isn't because things are always rosy and perfect. They aren't. It's because I've learned how to dance with my doubts and fears and to love and leverage my inner critic. I've learned how and why ego and identity are formed, which helps me to see its value and its limitations, and it helps me to hack it for my own higher purposes. I've learned that I get to break the rules and the conditioning that no longer serve me and create new agreements with myself that are aligned to my values and purpose and true nature. I've learned to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I've learned to embrace a deep sense of purpose and feel good about my place in the world. I've also learned some crazy powerful tools to help me intentionally shift into a higher state of being so that I can operate from there. And I've learned to stop expecting myself or my life or other people to be perfect, especially as a condition that I have to meet before I can have what I want. And I've learned to stop thinking that I have to be done and fully evolved before I can claim my happiness or own this shift in my life. Mostly, I've learned that the thing that was missing, that something more I needed, was me. I had disconnected from my spirit, from my personal truth and purpose, and from my own inner power. I had spent my whole life trying to meet other people's expectations, pleasing them, and doing what I was supposed to do, and following the rules, and walking in the right way on the right path, and thinking that that would create a good life. Once I reconnected to my inner spirit, to the divine, pure, authentic part of me, everything changed. As I created this midlife shift, I started to learn how to be more strategic, which for me meant being more aligned to that spirit by identifying my gifts and my talents and my essence. And I created a mission based on what I believe is my primary purpose. And I interviewed people and read books and took courses and researched what creates human flourishing, what makes us happier and healthier and more fulfilled. And as it turns out, science breaks a flourishing life into the same categories that I've always used for those New Year's resolutions and goal setting and examination of my own life. The science and my own heart were aligned. And the great news is that science identifies ways of optimizing how we function in each of those areas. And so does our intuition, that inner divine genius that we all have. It also knows how to optimize our human experience. So... As part of my strategic approach, I explored each area using the science and authentic conversations and personal experiences, discussing with others our stories and our hopes and our longings and our dark side as well as our light. I talked to people about how we define ourselves and the world around us, and I learned about creative principles and tapping into my intuition. I spent years experimenting to see what would work or not, and I found a phenomenal personal coach and built that community of like-minded seekers, and I created a collection of techniques and tools and methods, right? And then 
I rebranded flourishing as living vibrantly and I alchemized it into this powerful system that I use in my own life and with my coaching clients. It helps us confidently and intentionally and continually rise into the next level of ourselves and have a thriving life. All of this has evolved into the Flitter Sphere which is a collection of communities and experiential transformational programs. The building of the flitter sphere, the doing of this work is a spot on expression of my spirit. It's been and continues to be an amazing journey to go from floundering to flourishing. I have found my way out of that restless, sad, unfulfilling state and got past the guilt that I had for wanting more than what I was already so blessed with. The journey is full of beauty and mess. It's included a lot of work and struggle and pain And I wouldn't take away any of it because it got me here and because it's often in the dark and in the struggle that we learn and grow the most. So now that you've heard my journey, I'm wondering which bits of it resonated with you. Where in it did you see your own story, your own struggles? If you can relate to any of it, the next logical question is, how do you know if it's time to create your midlife shift into a more vibrant you? Well, you can look for some signs for some evidence of your own spirit being stifled. For instance, are you waking up each day dreading going to work? Do you constantly crave a vacation and then decide there isn't time to make it happen or money to make it happen? Are you feeling a deep exhaustion and burnout, maybe a sense of hopelessness because no matter what you do, you can't keep up and do all the things and please all the people and feel any sense of accomplishment because you're always on that hamster wheel? Are you feeling a lack of balance? That's a classic sign that something needs to shift. Do you feel triggered by people and situations more often and more easily these days? Jumping to conclusions and assumptions, getting angry and resentful or hurt at little things. Are you judging and criticizing yourself and others? Losing patience, feeling wronged? Are you arguing more than usual with the people you care about? This is a sign that you are unhappy. I know it's counterintuitive, but arguments with other people are never about other people. It's always a reflection of something going on in ourselves. Here are some other signs you could look for. Are you feeling a low-grade, ongoing unhappiness in one or more aspects of your life, maybe your career or relationships, your finances, your health? Are you feeling stifled and creatively unexpressed, like you have more to give and you have skills to use and something to say and do, but it's kind of stuck inside of you? Maybe it seems impossible to do in your life right now or ever, but the longing for it is there. Maybe you're feeling restless, like you're ready for what's next or something more than what you're currently experiencing in your life, but you're unsure what to do about it. So you just stay put. Any one of these things is a sign that you need some tending to, that you're not thriving. We humans can tolerate the intolerable for a really long time, especially when the pain of the intolerable situation starts to feel normal and change starts to seem impossible or like it's just one more thing to take on. It's okay to feel that, to sit with it a minute. And it's okay to want something different, to want to stop tolerating what doesn't serve your spirit. It's time to stop resisting the call of your soul to do the inner and outer work of crafting the life you're meant for instead of settling. So let's see if I can help you get started on how to start your midlife shift. While I can't pack in five years of intense focus and a lifetime of seeking and learning into one podcast, I can leave you with a few obvious actions towards what's next. I'll put a link in the show notes to a document that summarizes this, but here goes. 
The first step is to acknowledge that you want something different than your current life experience, even if it's only in one area of your life. Give yourself permission to want a life of your choosing. Get still and be quiet. Find a few moments every day to just sit with yourself and your thoughts. And in those quiet spaces, ask good questions about your life, like what makes you happy and what's working for you right now or not. What would you change? Look at the past and the present at where you've compromised and what you've tolerated and resisted. Then stay still and listen for the answers. Your intuition, your spirit will speak to you. Curiosity and listening are powerhouse transformational tools. When I'm doing this, I find that the answers are clearest when I start with a few simple steps. I breathe deeply for a minute or two and then notice what's going on in my body, pain or movement, sound, tension, etc., etc. It grounds me in the present moment. And then I imagine being connected to divine universal energy. There are lots of ways you can do this. If this is new to you, one of the simplest ways to feel connected to something divine is to sit in nature and concentrate on the things you see, a leaf, a blade of grass, the wind on your face, the sound of or sight of rushing water. When you can sit in that contemplation, you'll feel more connected to something bigger than yourself. Then from that space, the questions are obvious and the answers, they seem pure and from the core of my own genius spirit. As you do this, write it all down. Practice receiving whatever comes to you in that question and answer session without judging it or censoring or minimizing it. Just capture it. Later, you can reflect on it and notice the themes and the patterns and what you're making it all mean about yourself and your life. But for right now, just write it down. Another thing you can do is to define your gifts and your strengths and then look for the ways you are or aren't using them in your life. We tend to be happier when we're connected to our gifts and our strengths. So look for ways to add that. Another thing that you can do as you're starting your midlife shift is to let yourself dream about what you'd like in life. Now, this is easier said than done for some of us. When I first started my midlife shift, I struggled with this. My dreams were tiny and I didn't think I could really have what I wanted. So I kind of kept it safe and small. And I thought that my dreams had to include or benefit other people for me to be allowed to have what I wanted. Now, over time, I evolved and I've grown and my dreaming abilities are stronger. And I know today that if I can dream it, I can create it. But that wasn't the case initially. So as you imagine what you want in your life, notice if it's easy or challenging, or if your dreams are big and bold or tiny and safe. Notice if they include others or if you let yourself dream of things just for you, just because you want them, even if they don't benefit anybody else. Don't judge any of it. Just notice it and watch how it evolves over time. Another thing you can do as you're just starting out in your midlife shift is to set some goals for yourself and use them to pull you towards something to have meaning and focus, but don't get attached to the outcomes. Things often work out differently than we expect, but that doesn't mean that they didn't work out in our favor. So set a goal as a target and then listen to your intuition and let it pull you towards something and let go of any concern about exact outcomes and perfection. Just enjoy the journey. One other thing you can do is to create a community for yourself. We are not meant to human alone. Talk to other people about your feelings and dreams and about theirs. Look for the seekers and the creators and people determined to live fully. Connecting to others over this pursuit can be strengthening and admitting out loud what you want can be liberating. 
The last tip I'll share with you on how to start your midlife shift is to find a supportive coach whose methods and spirit align with you. Look for someone to help you deepen this exploration of your inner world and teach you the tools for using what you find to create what you want. It's okay to get some help to do the inner work and reconnect to yourself. These are just a few of the things that you can do to start your midlife shift. But as I share these ideas, I can almost hear your thoughts racing. Well, you know, like how you can't do it or how no one will support you. Hell, they may laugh at you over this. Maybe there's no time or money for what you want, or you lack the skills or the discipline to do it. Maybe there is no personal space in which to even get still and be quiet. It's normal for our minds to race towards reasons for not doing something. We all fear change. It's an evolutionary tool of the mind to keep us safe. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't move towards what you want. It just means that you need to learn to hack the way your mind works so that you can create the courage to act in your own best interest. Let me teach you a few tips for hacking the normal fear functions of the brain. First, breathe until you're calm to center yourself in the moment. Fear is a function of the future. It's rooted in worrying over what might happen. Breathing puts you in the present moment. It helps you focus on exactly what you're experiencing right then. Also, your fight or flight mode gets activated when fear is triggered. And when that system is on, you can't access your executive functions, which help you make decisions and plan and see possibilities and so forth. Breathing deeply deactivates the fight or flight system, which is part of our sympathetic nervous system, and it turns on your parasympathetic nervous system, which allows you to access those executive functions. The next tip that I'll share for hacking your normal fear functions is to admit what you want for yourself and then ask what it costs you not to have what you want. Get real and raw with this. Look at the emotional and the tangible costs. When we are in fear, our brain throws up immediate thoughts and feelings to get us to act in a way that keeps us safe. And in times of real danger, this serves us. When a tiger is chasing us, we need our brain to tell us to run and to make our muscles and nerves work so that we're able to run. But when the same function is used to keep us from pursuing a dream or creating something we'd love, we need to notice it and realize that the thoughts and feelings may not be rooted in objective reality. The brain is just trying to convince us of something to keep us safe. So stopping to ask good questions can reorient the brain away from fear and toward exploration. Another tip for hacking into your normal fear functions is to acknowledge your fears as they come up. Don't deny or dismiss them or push them down or try to avoid them. For instance, you may fear that changing to improve your life will mean losing a long-term relationship. Okay, it might. Yes, you may need to let go of people or jobs or habits or a sense of security or comfort or old stories and definitions about yourself. You may need to let go of all kinds of things in order to have the life you want for yourself. Allow for that possibility. Just owning that takes some power out of the fear. Then allow for the possibility that it may not happen. And then acknowledge that whether it happens or not and however you end up handling it doesn't change what you want for yourself. Let yourself feel the truth of what you want, even if you don't think you can have it. And then from that space of having acknowledged your fears and acknowledging that you still want what you want, even though you are scared of it, ask yourself some questions specifically about the fear. Like, what if my fear happens? Okay, what if I have to let go of some people or change jobs or whatever? What resources do I have in me to handle that? 
What are some examples that I have of times I've overcome other challenges or fears? What if my fear doesn't happen? How could I move forward? What is like one thing I could do? These kinds of questions are empowering and they help you take control over your fear and shift your focus. And then after all of that, acknowledge that what you just did was give yourself some options. You are powerful. You can move forward. You can overcome roadblocks. And there is one thing that you can do to create towards what you want. Just that little awareness and acknowledgement puts power in you instead of in the fear. Then to really use your power, go do that one thing. Take that obvious action. Show your brain that you can act despite a fear and respond well to whatever the outcome is. You are a creator. You know, a good friend of mine once said something that I'll never forget. She said, everything you want is on the other side of fear. When we learn to manage our fear, to befriend it and understand it, we can move past it to what's on the other side, to creating the life we would love. Okay, so let's summarize all of this. Midlife challenges and existential pain certainly existed for me, and they exist for many of us, but that doesn't make them a midlife crisis. I prefer to see it as a call to a midlife shift, to examine our lives and evaluate our level of happiness and meaning, our sense of purpose, how we use our gifts and our strengths, and how we define and express ourselves and our place in the world, and so forth and so forth. If we do this, we can realign our lives to what our spirit craves. This kind of shift can be done at any time, but midlife is a natural inflection point to stop and reassess. It's a grand opportunity to spiral up into the next level of ourselves and be more fully expressed. And it can be a magical experience if you let it. You've got some tools now for identifying when you're ready for your shift, for starting that shift, and for combating the fear that will naturally arise as you do. I hope you can see from today's show that there's so much beauty and power in intentionally transforming your life. You are the predominant creative force of your life. Owning that and accepting responsibility for creating the experience you want in this world is powerful and life-affirming. It's scary as shit, but it's life-affirming. And the beauty and magic that comes from it is stunning, uplifting, and life-changing. Happiness comes from expressing your true spirit in the world, authentically, meaningfully, and fully. I believe this self-expression is our primary purpose in life. If you don't, that's okay. But either way, following your spirit will lead you to an amazing human experience. I want to challenge you to start exploring what you want for your life at this point. Go download the tips I shared using the link in the show notes and practice applying them just a little each day. And when you're ready for your community, I invite you to join us in the Flitter Sphere. There's a link for this in the show notes too. Come tell us what you think of this topic and how you're applying the techniques in your life. Okay, that's it for this episode. Please share the podcast with your friends and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening to the Sparkable Moments podcast, produced by Purple Chicken Life and shared through the Flitter Sphere. I'm Suzette Conway, and you can find me at flittersphere.com. Remember, you deserve to have your most vibrant life, and the world needs the highest version of you. Those two things are related, and they're worthy of your attention, because you are the only one who can create the life your soul craves. And when you do, everyone around you benefits. So go on, be vibrant.